Today on Locked On Canadians, we're going to preview the Laval Rocket Series. What are the keys to winning that series and making the Calder Cup final? And then we've got tons of mailback questions from you, including some hypothetical trade proposals. We know you love that. Stay tuned because all that's coming up on today's Locked On Canadians. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 629 of Locked on Canadians, your first listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. We're almost at that 1,000 subscriber mark, so please give us a subscription on YouTube as well. My name is Laura Saba, also known as The Active Stick, and if you are watching us, you will see that we are both wearing hoodies. Uh, my wonderful co-host, Scott Matlove, Habs Eyes on the Prize, is joining me. Scott, how are you doing today? I uh, I have felt better, a um, little <laughs> under the weather, just with the temperature swings. We've gone from 90 to 55 and back and forth. There is pollen everywhere, so my head uh, is a little bit of a mess. So if I sound a little stuffed up or a little awful, um, well, it, it's just the way she goes sometimes. But it is almost <laughs> the weekend. Um, hopefully be back on my feet soon enough. There's, we have a wedding out of town this weekend, so uh, I am a praying that this passes quickly like they usually do so it is thursday june 2nd right now and if you are listening to us from montreal you will know that it is cold out and it's kind of it's very annoying so those of you watching on youtube this is why we are both wearing hoodies it's for whatever reason it's insanely cold and the allergies are really affecting us either way today we have lots to talk about including the laval rocket are about to start this weekend they will be starting their series against the Seattle Thunderbirds. Actually, that's not true. They're starting it as we are recording, right? Uh, no, game one is on Saturday, Saturday the 4th. In Springfield. Yes. Yes, so that's what I got. That's what I made the mistake is because some of the people who cover the team are currently in Springfield, and I just got like all like all confused. Uh, they're starting in Springfield, uh, and it's one of those, it's 2-3-2 two, two series. Yep, so uh, Saturday, June 4th, Sunday, June 5th are in Springfield at the Mass Mutual Center. Wednesday the 8th, Friday the 10th, uh, if and our uh, the first two games at home at Place Bell. And then uh, Saturday the 11th, if necessary, is at Place Bell. Uh, the 13th and 15th are in Springfield, if necessary, as well. So it doesn't go 2-2-1-1-1, two, two, one, one, one. it's 2-3-2, two, two, like you were saying. Because the AHL has to be just different enough so <laughs> well I mean it's a lot cheaper right for everybody involved and that's part of it so real quick Scott before we move on to our mailbag questions what are in your mind the three keys for the Laval Rocket for their upcoming series against the Thunderbirds uh goaltending is going to be a big thing I know I said that in every series and it's true so far Caden Primo has been absolutely impressive and in the upcoming series Joel Hoffer and former St. John Icecaps legend Charlie Lindgren have been lights out for the Thunderbirds this year. That's, it's a very good uh, series to test the Rocket shooters. And uh, just getting that consistent performance. And he doesn't have to be at 940 every game. If he continues to play at that 920, 930 pace there, which is still extremely impressive, the Rocket have every chance to win these games. 
And it's going to be interesting to see how the depth matches up here. I look at the defenses and Springfield is a little bit bruisier, a little bit more defensive minded, whereas the Rocket tend to lean a little bit heavier on the offensive side of things. Sammy Niku is a point per game. Xavier Willett's just below that in the playoffs here. And those defensive matchups are going to matter a lot because if the Rocket can get offense from their defense, they're coming out ahead here. And then pairing with that, they got to win the depth battle because uh, Springfield's top six is very good. James Neal is not a first line. Yes, that James Neal is not a top line player in the AHL, but he's every bit still as lethal as he was in the NHL with where he's at. He doesn't have the speed he once did, but he doesn't really need that so much at the AHL level right now. They got to win those depth matchups and getting some points from Raphael Harvey Pinard, Yessi Alonen. Uh, would be a big thing. And who's going to be this series is uh, Donick Martell. He stepped up uh, big against the Amherst. Can he do the same thing against the Thunderbirds? Or can someone like Cedric Paquette, Alex Belzeal, a Joel Teasdale, Nate Schnarr kind of step into that role here? Because every series has had someone be the unexpected hero. Uh, Gabriel Bork against Syracuse, Donick Martell against Rochester. It, they got to find a new one for this because they can roll four lines but you got to get production from that. Obviously, Joshua Waugh and Riley Kidney are waiting in the wings. Uh, if uh, JF Houle would opt for more uh, offense somewhere in his lineup. So we did get a mailback question related to that. Um, and I believe it was from Rock Smasha, if I'm not mistaken. So let's, let's, I know we don't, we normally go email YouTube, then Twitter. But let's start with this Twitter question because it is, it is directly related to what you just said. Yeah, uh, so it, it is from Rock Smasher. If you were Hool, what line would you make with Joshua and Riley Kidney, or would you keep them healthy scratched? Right now, there's not a lot of shame with just going, Joshua, you were going to be on the fourth line and somewhere on power play one or two, just because Schnarr and Teasdale do really well winning puck battles and getting pucks to the front of the net, where someone like a Lucas Condotta or a Devontae Smith-Pelly in certain games doesn't have the finishing acumen that someone like Joshua Waz had at the QMJHL level. Riley Kidney's a little bit more, I'm not sure, just because I haven't watched as much of Kidney as I would have liked to this year. He's also a center. Their center depth has been very good so far. You don't want to put him on the wing when he's used to playing center right now, unless something has gone wrong there. So uh, unless they opt to go with a 13-5 alignment instead of 12-6 or 11-7, I don't see Kidney getting in unless there's, of course injuries and whatnot uh i could see wa getting in but the biggest thing for that is i could see that happening once they control the matchups once they get back to plus bell and they have the benefit of last change and everything else i think you might see one of them come in there because then jf Hool can kind of control the matchups that he wants for these young players and they're not getting thrown to the wolves uh at least not right away so far right and, and there was something that we were talking about in a previous episode this week is that you don't really want to mess with a winning lineup to start with, especially on the road. So I think that's how they'll go. I definitely agree with you there. And in the meantime, we've got tons more mailback questions and a lot of fun coming up, including are these trade proposals realistic or are people just kind of trying to trying to provoke us a little bit into talking about them, and we'll find out in just one moment. But first, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, news and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, 
Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. And we also have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so, survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Lockdown podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about Lockdown Podcasts. Go to LockdownPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. And thank you so much for your help, and we really value that opinion. All right, so Scott, let's get into the mailbag questions. We've got a ton today. Uh, we absolutely do. Uh, we'll dive right into the emails first, since those tend to be a little bit longer. Uh, and this one comes from Matthew, and it says, Hey, guys, looking at the OHL finals with Hamilton and Windsor, which is interesting with Habs prospect Jan Mishak and Arbor Jacki for Hamilton, are there any thoughts on Daniil Sobolev, who is a fifth rounder that plays for Windsor and doesn't get talked about as one of our prospects? Also, Logan Morrison for Hamilton has gone undrafted but looks great. Is there any buzz surrounding his situation and a possible sneaky pickup for the Habs, who have obviously kept tabs on the Bulldogs? Cheers, Matthew. And it's funny that you mentioned an undrafted free agent playing for Hamilton because I look at last year's rookie camp uh, roster, and on that roster was Avery Hayes, who played with Jan Mishak and plays for the Bulldogs this year as well, who the Canadians have at least some familiarity with. And I look at this and I go, that would be who I'm looking at. As for Sobolev, there isn't much to say because, one, I have not watched a lot of him, and he's not a standout in any one particularly category here. He's he's there, you know. He's often putting the puck in the right direction. He's not often a minus on the ice, but there isn't enough there for me to make like an actual, like educated explanation for him because one, I have not had a chance to watch him enough. Um, Hattie, who works for Eyes on the Prize, obviously is writing up OHL prospects and everything. I would recommend ask, talking to him about that. He'll have seen more of him than I have at this point. And obviously, Meshach and Jack I, everyone knows about at this point. They're, they're all over Twitter anytime they do something. So it, it is going to be a very interesting final because Hamilton has just rolled straight through and Windsor needed seven games to defeat Flint uh, yesterday, Wednesday, to get there. I can't see Hamilton slowing down here, though, at least not right now. A couple of things. We should have Hattie on the podcast for OHL Insight since we had Matt Drake on for QMJHL Insight. Uh, definitely uh, somebody to reach out for. And, and you know, we'll, we'll try our best to make it happen. Uh, the other thing is that the Canadians, because um, the owner of the Bulldogs is part owner of the Canadians, right? Um, a minority owner, whatever you want to call it. Michael Andlauer, really nice guy, by the way. Uh, at least in person. I don't know. Like, I don't know too much about him. But anyway, he's obviously like, th there is like a connection there, right? Like the team definitely will have eyes and ears there. Uh, so it's definitely worth talking about with Hattie. Uh, what question? What's the next question we've got? Uh, I'm going to keep diving in. We do have YouTube, a YouTube question, but I'm going to keep diving into the ones we got uh, in the Lockdown Canadians email. Uh, this one comes from Bill Jones. How about the Canadians swap their first overall pick for third for Arizona and trade Weber and Nylander. I'm assuming 
Norlander is potentially who you might mean here. Uh, unless the Canadians are planning on acquiring William Nylander, in which case uh, I'm, I'm not in favor of trading him to Arizona. For mm-hmm. Arizona's first in 2023, I have one thing on that is that the Canadians are going to have to be giving up much more to get Weber's contract off the books right now because if they're desperate to get rid of that, their leverage is gone. And as we've seen in other trades in the past that were just essentially trading cap hits for nothing, um, this this is one of those similar deals there that I think the Canadians are going to have to give up a, a fair bit more than they would uh, they would take in, at least in terms of trades there. So a couple of things. Um, Arizona, knowing that now that the Canadians are no longer tanking, uh, and they are still explicitly tanking and purposely tanking, would never give up their first rounder in 2023. Uh, two, it's not just this person, but for whatever reason in the comments lately, I'm seeing a lot of people trading Norlinder, and I'm like, whoa, let's dial it all back. All of a sudden, everybody's throwing Norlinder into trades. Let's see how they do at the draft. Let's see who they accumulate. Let's see who they trade for over the course of the season. And let's keep Norlinder until... There's really a reason to trade him. Is is like for for whatever reason he seems to be like the second rounder that people throw in. You know when people throw in a second rounder to make a trade palatable. Like now it's like let's throw in Norleaner to make a trade. We're not doing that. We're gonna calm down. We're gonna let Kent Hughes do his thing, and then we can start speculating on that. Next question. And we have one from Neil, also centering kind of around the Arizona Coyotes. Hi, big fan of the show. Keep up the great work. We will. We will do our best. I had a bit of a backseat GM trade proposal at the draft for the Arizona Coyotes picks and others that are subject to change because I am not a GM after all. And there's a lot here, so give me some time to breathlessly read my way through this. Um, Yoel Armiel and Paul Byron or Mike Hoffman plus a pair of third rounders 2022 and 2023 for Lawson Kraus sign and trade agreement could dump some cap to Arizona so they could reach the salary floor, give them a young vet in Armia and players who would be able to produce in smaller markets. I'd expect Kraus to have a contract similar to Dvorak, meaning Montreal could still dump up to around $4 million in cap space while getting rid of either Byron or Hoffman. Kraus is a 6'4", 24-year-old left winger who scored 20 goals on a struggling Coyotes team this year. Around St. Louis' coaching staff, Montreal could try to shape and become the best version of Josh Anderson and Yoel Armia in one player. And there's a second proposal. The Habs would trade Shea Weber, Calgary's first in the draft this year, as well as Florida's first next year, Jesse Alonen, and the remaining of Byron or Hoffman from the previous trade for Jacob Chikrin and a couple of mid to late round draft picks. Ideally, the Yotes settle for a lower tier prospect that we don't know as much about, such as Emil Heinepin, Ty Smolanik, or Oliver Kapanen. Chicken is locked in for four and a half mil for another three years, and the Habs rebuild instantly gets ahead by one to two years. Uh, I may be delusional, but I'd love to hear what you guys say about it on the show. Thank you, Neil. There's a lot going there. I do love the idea of Lawson Kraus. I do. Um, he. It's just a matter of, does he fit the timeline of the Canadians right now? Which is hard to say because it's, quite frankly, it's... Uh, it's a big it's a unknown. Rebuild. It's a huge question mark. Exactly. We don't know, okay, is St. Louis going to come in and this team suddenly going to be better overall that the rebuild is ahead of where it was? Or are there still kinks and bugs to work out that continually adding new pieces messes with the flow and synergy of that? I like the idea of it, but I am not 100% certain if that's the route they're going to go. 
when it comes to trading with Arizona, I feel like it's going to be Shea Weber for and whatever you know other contract needs to go that way or picks go that way, and that's just it. Or it might be a nothing player that goes to the AHL. Simple as that. Like I can't see it being anything truly big, at least not right now. I think like Arizona's in this position now where with the Shikrin one with the second um, with the second proposal. I think that Arizona is going to want a King's ransom because the Habs are not going to be the only person looking at him, especially given the term on his contract, especially given what kind of a player he is. I think a lot of people are going to come knocking. In fact, I know that on Locked On Leafs, uh, they did some trade proposals involving Shikrid because he's definitely somebody that everybody has an eye on. Um, so you can check out their last episode as well. To, to, they, 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 there were multiple players that they discussed, but Shikrid was one of them. I think like when it's somebody that coveted, like Arizona is going to want a lot of things, including picks. I'm very hesitant, to be honest. A lot of people are talking about that Florida next, 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 uh, next year's pick. I'm very hesitant to trade that away just yet until I see how Florida's offseason goes because they are in a massive cap crunch and they have given away a lot of picks, a lot of picks. They have like two picks. They have like two picks in the entire uh, draft or something like that. Or is it something like two picks in, in like, I don't know how many are. Anyway, Florida's in a position right now where they're going to be struggling next year in terms of cap um, uh, team construction, roster construction. So let's wait and see how they do there. And then maybe think about trading their pick or maybe try and exploit that a little bit and give them other picks because the Canadians have tons. All right. Sorry. Uh, we are going to move on to all our Twitter questions. Uh, and that's coming up in just one moment. What have we got from the Twitter questions? Uh, I'm going to stick with the prospect side of things for right now. Uh, this one comes from Randy Hansen. The Memorial Cup this year looks to be potentially be a great one for the Canadians. Hamilton and Edmonton, where Caden Gooley is, look almost unbeatable in their league playoffs. Which team do you hope to see most? Uh, honestly, watching Hamilton uh, has been very exciting this year just because they've got also Mason McTavish. Uh, they've got some guys that I think the Canadians might take a flyer on for the AHL next year, like a Nathan Steos, the Avery Hayes, a Logan Morrison in there. And and there's obviously, you know, ground to be made up there. And I think Edmonton, Caden Gooley's kind of fallen off my viewing radar a little bit just because the AHL has been so important. And I think him making a big deep run is very reminiscent to what Kale Fleury did uh, a couple of years ago when I believe he got traded out of, I want to say it was Kelowna, but I might be wrong, and was playing for the Regina Pats when they were in the Memorial Cup. And I think this is going to be a big opportunity for him. So uh, I those are the two teams right now that I'm keeping an eye on. Obviously, Shane Wright's not playing deep in the draft that, or because Kingston was eliminated. But, y you know, you can't control players that aren't on your team right now anyways. Yeah, but I also really am excited to watch a little bit more of Gooley. We definitely... Uh, we don't talk enough about him. We definitely like we bring him up whenever we want to talk about, you know, their most promising prospects. But I'm excited to see some games with him in there. Like it's definitely I think he's going to take the next step this year, next year or in the, in the coming season. So it, it'll be good to watch him in the OHL playoffs uh, also uh, for in the Memorial Cup, not OHL in the Memorial <laughs> Cup. Uh, <laughs> also for Randy Hansen, is it finally time for the NHL to join the 21st century and have legitimate people running the rules reviews? There must be dozens of rules on the books that should be purged at this point. All right. 
Offici- officiating is honestly it's a mess but partly the nhl rulebook is to blame and i absolutely agree i actually was thinking about having scouting the refs on and we can talk uh refs and stuff with 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 him at some point in the future but i definitely think that the there needs to be an impartial not 200 hockey men led review of the nhl rulebook and I think it's going to it's going to be a while because right now most of the GMs are hockey men and most of the you know the you know, most 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 of the people involved are hockey men so it's going to take quite a while. I I look at it too and I go just clarify what the hell's going on at this point like if I can't tell you what offsides is or offside or whatever how are you going to explain it to someone who's trying to get into the sport here like I cannot explain to somebody what this rule is even watching because I don't know. I don't know what a kicking motion is. I don't know what goaltender interference is. All Clarify. of those things seem so straightforward though. They like, you would think that offside is super straightforward, but then you got to get like a measuring stick. You got to get like an invisible cloak. You got to like cast an incantation and to figure out like if the player was actually offside or like a distinct kicking motion. I thought a distinct kicking motion meant kicking the puck into the net. It could it- be anything. It's such a mess. Like how, like, yeah, a kicking motion is you bring your foot back in a kicking motion. What Blake Coleman did is not a kicking motion. I don't know whether Cal McCarr was offside or onside. I really don't because I don't know what the rule is. I don't know what goalie. Simplify and clarify. It's not that difficult. Please write like a hard and fast rule with pictures of the example and go, this is the standard. You can't do that. Then get someone who will. Uh, we have a YouTube question that I actually missed in our last segment from Victor Maxwell. Friday mailbag, can Montreal trade for the second pick or even Ottawa's seventh pick? Also, even I think Slavkovsky will go two or three overall. How can the Canadians get the first and second and not lose their promising prospects of 2023 first round picks? Who would you pick if the Habs had the first and second overall picks? And my first thing is with all of this, they cannot get up to second overall without having to give up a good chunk, including likely this year's first, probably their early second, and potentially a prospect. Because there's a chart that shows the values of things, and you got to add everything up. And you're basically combining everything to make a cake that is the second overall pick. And to be quite honest, if I had the second overall pick, I'd probably pick Slavkovsky, or I'd pick David Juracek right now for help on defense. There's plenty of options, mind you. Trading up for seventh, I can see a potentially a little bit more. But second overall, I can't see the Canadians doing that right now. It's going to cost too much. And if you're a rebuilding team, you can't afford to just sacrifice assets, uh, at least not without good cause behind it. There's a, a decent discussion on the YouTube. I think it was two episodes episodes ago. Um, and somebody was like, you know, realistically, the Canadians could probably move up to like this, you know, the the the. 11 12 13 mark a lot higher than they would be able to move into the top 10 so if somebody falls out of the top 10 that they had their eye on then yeah it's worth shopping whatever you got but at the same time i don't think that the canadians will be able to get this year's second or third i just don't think those teams would be willing to trade them um and so therefore i just think it you know like when you have the first overall pick you don't need to make trades right it's only if you want one and two. And the last, I believe the last time that was done was, was it the Kane or was it the, no, that was two Sedins. and three. Was it the Sedins? It was the Sedins, right? How do you do that? How do you orchestrate that in 2022? You find a very stupid GM, which uh, 
I mean, it's the Devils. It, it could be hit or miss. It's the it, it, it's who knows, but I don't see a team with the money invested in analytics department going, yeah, we'll trade to the second overall pick without like, you know, taking Montreal to the cleaners at that point in time. It, it is a pipe dream, one that I think would be hilarious and fun, but you're going to sacrifice something at some point. And unfortunately, I don't think the Canadians are in a spot for that. So. Uh, diving back into the rest of the Twitter questions, this one comes from Ryan Lee. Probably a question for Scott since he wrote the article for Eyes on the Prize. If he's available at 26th or 33rd, would you pick Ivan Miroshinichenko? And my answer is absolutely without even without even thinking about it. There was a report that the Canadians would not draft anyone from Russia. Kent Hughes debunked that in his press conference. We forgot to talk about that yesterday. Uh, Miroshinichenko was seen as a top 10 talent. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Will miss the rest of this year uh, as he recovers and undergoes treatment, but it is very treatable. And I watched his highlight clips. He's got talent, and if he comes back just as strong as he was before, I would uh, I would run up to the podium if he was there twenty sixth overall because the Canadians can wait for him to be ready. Yeah, absolutely. other teams can't. They have tons of time, right? They have tons of time, and also there's a good chance that that will make him drop, right? Like in the eyes of some teams. Uh, 26 and 33rd like you've got you've got those two picks that are right around where he's expected to be picked so you know you can go for it uh this one comes from our good friend ian of the build podcast i was playing nhl 06 recently and thought to myself that francis bouillon must have had had connections at ea sports because they made him the fastest man alive if you worked at ea which player stats would you unrealistically boost and why cole caulfield for the haters i what I, I look at this and I would turn Cole Caulfield's like physicality stat up to like Zidane Char level. So you have this tiny little like water bug. And when you hit someone and it just levels them regardless of how big they are. And I think that would be hysterical. Like Ant-Man. Exactly. Like Francis Bouillon being the fastest man alive. Cole Caulfield being the most physical player in the game. I think to me is absolutely hilarious. So um that would be it. In other games, uh, I always make like someone I hate uh, really slow and really bad at what they do and then turn the settings down to easy and just beat up on them for a little bit because I'm a bad person. Um, let's see here. We have another question from Randy Hansen. The Sea Dogs fired their coach after losing in the first round despite being the host for the Memorial Cup. What other shocking firing do you remember best? I, you know what? I keep thinking about this, and I don't know if it was specific to hockey or if it was just in general. I like there's some boneheaded firings that have happened for sure. What is the most shocking one that you would think? I remember it was the day Claude Julian got hired because I was taking a nap at home, and one of our writers at the time posted in the chat from NHL.com that Michel Therrien had been fired. And Claude Julien had been hired to replace him. And Mark Dumont, who was the managing editor at the time, looked at that and went, ha ha, how old is that article? Before realizing the date stamp on the article went, oh crap, they actually did this thing right now. We have a screenshot of it uh, saved somewhere. It's one of the funniest reactions to something I've ever seen because it could very easily have been from like eight years prior or however many years prior it was when they had fired uh, – <laughs> 
Michelle Carrion and hired Claude Julian <laughs> and replaced him with Claude Julian the, the last time. You know what? I just thought about one this year. Barry Trotz getting fired. Uh, you know, the, obviously the on ice results in one season were bad, but like they were overachieving for the two years prior to that. And you literally fired a Stanley Cup winning coach, a team that was constantly missing the mark and and was constructed so well that they were expected to be like d- a dynasty. Couldn't make it until Barry Trotz became their coach. And then he, like, had the Islanders overachieving two years in a row. And then he got fired because the Islanders didn't make the playoffs. And that that was pretty shocking this year alone. I'm trying to think, like, there's got to be, like, there's got to be, like, football ones that are crazy. and in, in terms of stuff for, like, European football, soccer, like, we could spend days talking about, like, insane firings and everything. And we would still barely scratch the surface just because that's the way the sport is. Um I will open the floor to this for other people if they want to answer this in our comments or replies, though. Uh, and we have one final question. Uh, this weird one does not come from Will for once. This one comes from Tristan. Oh, we have a question from Will. Did I forget to send that one to you? Did, which is just such a shame that we That's forgot. That's okay. I will. No, I will send it to you, but let's do this weird one, too. Uh, if toilets became sentient, would you rather they passionately crave poop be ambivalent towards it, or deeply resent you for it. Well, like, the toilets are there to serve a function, right? Like, it's not like, like, it's not the toilet's fault, it's a toilet. So I would hope that it enjoys the excrement. <laughs> I don't want a toilet to be like, yum, yum, poopy. Like, that's weird to me. It just, just like, do your thing and, like, be, you know, <laughs> just exist. normal. Just exist to take poop. That's That's it. If you're resentful, I'm worried that I'm going to go sit down and you're just going to, like, one of my childhood nightmares, like, being eaten by a sentient toilet. So, like, um, but ambivalent would be my guess because if you swing to one extreme or the other, it gets very, very weird and uncomfortable. So I sent you the final question from our nemesis, Will Christ. Why is it not popping up? Do you just want to read it to me? Yes. Which golf club would be most effective as a tool if you were stranded on a desert island? Now, I looked up types of golf club because I don't know. I I feel like a driver is useful if you're, like, trying to hammer things down and break things. But I look at irons and wedges as, like, a tool to actually, like, help chop down trees and other stuff. And I kind of lean towards that a little bit. So um, I'm going to go with, like, a seven iron. Because you can use it to still hammer things down. It's got the strength in that. But you can use it to wedge. Um, it's got the angle that if you want to try and spark a fire with the sunlight. Uh, something like that I think would be my would be my uh, what I would take. Okay, so I looked up types of golf clubs. Um, and it says putters, woods, hybrids, wedges, and irons. And irons just seems like it makes sense based on everything you said. Because putters looked like, like it's not really going to... It can hammer things, but that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Um, what is the one that's most frequently used in murders? Like, that's the one that I would take. I'm pretty sure, like, an iron or something because they're easy to swing, but they're, they're heavy enough at the head that it has an impact. No one uses a driver because it's very heavy at one end and it can snap in the middle a little bit easier. Uh, so usually, like, if you're getting murdered, you're getting hit to beat to death with, like, an iron of some kind. Okay, well, that's the one I'm going with. Um, 
And that has been a very bizarre mailbag today. Uh, and uh, so Locked on Hoodies will sign off for this week. Uh, and we will be back on Monday with lots to talk about, including the Laval Rocket. Uh, there's some questions that have been brought up that I said that we would discuss on Monday's show uh, in, in, our, in our YouTube comments. And I just want to say to all our listeners, thank you for keeping those topic ideas coming. If there's any guests or anything that we can think of to bring on, we will do so because of your questions. Uh, in the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter, LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. If you want to find Scott on Twitter, he's at Scott Metla. If you want to find me, I am at The Active Stick. Don't forget that listener survey and check out Locked On NHL as your second listen of the day.